Hey there, Culture Gab Fest listeners. Kristen Meinzer here, host of The Relentless, a podcast from Century 21 Real Estate and Slate Studios. If you liked a certain adrenaline-filled action movie with F-16s, we think you'll enjoy this episode. It features former fighter pilot Michelle Mace Curran. Michelle completed combat missions around the world and flew with the Air Force Thunderbirds, performing aerial maneuvers for millions of spectators. In our conversation, she talks about pushing limits, managing fear, and how she's transferred over those fighter pilot skills to her new career as an entrepreneur. We hope you enjoy, and if you like what you hear, find The Relentless wherever you get your podcasts. This paid podcast is a partnership between Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, the podcast that looks at sales differently. As entrepreneurs, we write our own playbooks. When we're thrown off course, when assumptions hold us back, we find a way to move fearlessly in a different direction. I'm Kristen Meinzer. I'm an author, entrepreneur, and podcast host. And in a world filled with noise, there's a superpower I've developed that's helped me more than anything else. Never letting fear get in the way. That means building up confidence, taking risks, and tackling the really hard problems. And that's what we're exploring this season. How can we move fearlessly in a world filled with potential obstacles? Get ready to meet the people who transform what scares them into something that inspires them. It's time to move fearlessly and stay relentless. I'm Michelle Kern. I also go by Mace. I'm a former F-16 combat fighter pilot and former Thunderbird pilot. If there's anyone who knows how to move fearlessly, it is Michelle Curran. She flew 160 combat hours in Afghanistan. It's a job where advanced preparations mean everything. You better have planned everything and be doing this correctly, especially in situations where there were American troops on the ground nearby or allied troops on the ground nearby, which we had a couple of those. You're just double-checking and triple-checking everything your brain slows down kind of, you have temporal distortion where you realize you're having this thought, we're like, oh, this is happening exactly how they said it would. But at the same time, you're like, everything's happening so fast. So it's just a very strange mind state to be in that's hard to compare to anything else. Michelle learned quickly how to be high functioning when the situation was high stress. Your heart's gonna be racing. Things are not going to go as planned. It's going to be chaotic. It's probably going to be at night. Your wingman, because you always fly with two aircraft, so you have support there. Your wingman's probably off at the tanker refueling, because we would refuel airborne. So you're going to be by yourself. And so you would have these surreal moments right before you're pushing a button where you're releasing a weapon. You realize the responsibility that you carry, that you better know what you're doing. That steadiness carried over to her next assignment as the only female pilot in the Thunderbirds, the Air Force's elite aerial demonstration team. It's six red, white, and blue painted F-16s that do air shows all across the country. So uh, March through November, any given year is show season. And the team usually does about 35 locations and two shows at each spot. So over 70 air shows in eight or nine months, pretty busy. 
Also do a few flyovers, the Super Bowl in 2019. And then some people might be familiar with us from COVID in 2020. Air shows got canceled, as you would imagine. So we kind of reinvented ourselves for a few months and did all these city flyovers all across the country. So we flew in close formation, as close as 18 inches apart, with our smoke on over all the major metropolitan areas on the East Coast, New York, Boston, DC, Atlanta, LA, San Diego, some cities in Texas. So a lot of people that would never go to an air show got to see the Thunderbirds in 2020. Less than a year ago, she left active duty and pivoted into being a full-time entrepreneur. And she's here with me now to talk about it all. Michelle Curran, we are so thrilled to have you here. Or or should I call you Mace? Is Mace better? It's dealer's choice. And I think every time I answer that question, people are like, oh, no, I wish she would just tell me this is what she wants to be called. <laughs> but you can go with Mace. It makes it a little bit unique. I A lot of people refer to me as Mace. Okay. Well, tell us, how did you get that name? What does it mean? Yeah, so we're starting with a heavy-hitting question right off the bat. So there's a lot of tradition behind fighter pilots and call signs. And for everyone that's seen Top Gun, that's just a great reference to some of the cultural things that we have that are sort of unique. Like, they all have call signs. Um, and they go by them the entire movie, right? Like, no one ever calls them anything but that. And it's, it's never Jeff. It's thing. like Maverick. No. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I joke a lot when I present that we actually have a thing called First Name Friday where the lieutenants, the youngest squadron, or the youngest pilots in the squadron, do a fundraiser. And every time you use someone's call sign for that day, instead of their given first name, you have to pay a dollar. It's like a swear <laughs> jar. And... It's, it's terrible because you realize you've been flying with these people for sometimes years and you don't even know they're given first names. So it's pretty funny. But call signs are, we usually keep the story of how we got them fairly close hold because you don't get to pick them. They're actually given to you based on something dumb that you did when you were a young pilot. <laughs> so a mistake you made. Um, some of them are funny plays off of last names. But there's a tradition where you only tell people in person over a beverage. And I think that was just a ploy to get people to buy beer for you, essentially. <laughs> but for mine, it is an, an acronym, MACE. So I won't tell you exactly what each letter stands for, but I will give you the general gist that I broke the speed of sound. I went supersonic when I shouldn't have. And so it was definitely a mistake that I made um, when I was a really young pilot, my first assignment. Wow. Okay. We're all going to have to use our imaginations to figure out what M-A-C-E might stand for. Right? It's kind of fun to just keep the mystery alive a little bit. <laughs> now, Mace, it's only been a year or so since you left Air Force active duty, but we have to make clear you are not just sitting around resting, reclining on the chaise lounge. <laughs> you are still extremely, extremely busy. What are you up to today? So yeah, I decided to become an entrepreneur and launch my own business called Upside Down Dreams. I flew inverted upside down a lot as a Thunderbird pilot. And so that was kind of a play on that. And it really centers around doing keynote speaking, consulting. I have a kid's book coming out mm. next year. So I wanted to keep inspiring people and find a way to do that. And this seemed like a great opportunity to keep doing that. And it's, it's super rewarding to still be able to positively impact people. Was it hard for you to figure out what to do next after so many adrenaline-filled years in the Air Force? I mean, real life must be just so different. How did you figure out what to do next? So I knew I was ready to kind of transition to something else where I could 
have a little bit more autonomy and be a little bit more creative. Um, but of course, I explored more traditional options like going to the airlines, which is a very common career shift for military pilots once they enter the civilian workforce. And I looked at some tech startups in the drone space and all these different options last year. And then there was a point last fall where a school reached out and asked if I could come speak to their students in the spring. And it was actually far enough in advance that I was going to be out of active duty by that point. And I could actually say yes to, to going and doing it. And the more I thought about that, I started to do some research and I realized there was a, a market for speaking and that I had a message that I thought could really help people. And when I thought about my time on the Thunderbirds, the flying was definitely awesome. The most fun flying I did in my entire career. But I really, really loved being in a spot where I could have these one-on-one -on -one interactions with people and just see on their faces that they were walking away with a different viewpoint of what was possible for them in the world, especially for girls and women, being the only woman flying for the team. And that was just so rewarding to be able to affect people in that way. And I looked at speaking as a way to continue doing that. That one uh, school reaching out was just enough to be like, all right, I'm going to take a leap of faith and go in and build my own business. And once I decided that, it's been 100% the right decision. There has not been a single second where I've been like, oh, I should have gone and done this instead. I just love it so much. And it's so motivating to be working for yourself. Mm. So it's been a learning curve on the business side, but it's been amazing. <laughs> now, you've only really officially seen yourself as an entrepreneur for about six months now. But in that time, has there been anything that's really surprised you? I don't think I realized how little I knew about what it actually took to start and run a business. So it's been a steep learning curve. But one of the things that has surprised me in the best way is the amount of people that have just come out of the woodwork to help. And a lot of these people I did not know previously. Some of them had followed my Thunderbird career through social media for a while. So they felt like they knew me, which which was huge because they already had a connection there. But other people have just found me recently. And especially being a veteran, I think people are really primed to help. But in general, other entrepreneurs and other successful business people have constantly been willing to be like, hey, let's get on a call. Hey, I know this person that would be perfect to help you with X, Y, and Z, or whatever it is. And the amount of people that have opened up their network to me and matched me up with incredibly accomplished people who I can only imagine are extremely busy and have been willing to get on a 30-minute call or answer a question over an email or even book me for a speaking event, that has been the key to success of how my business has taken off so quickly in six months. If I had not had that support network coming out of nowhere that, from my perspective at least, it wasn't expected, I would not be where I'm at. So that has been surprising and refreshing and just amazing. Yeah. Now, you've already mentioned your role as a woman in the Thunderbirds being unique. There have not been a lot of women in the Thunderbirds. Did you have to fight against a lot of um, perceptions about being a woman when you began working in this field? When I first became a fighter pilot, I was stationed in Misawa, Japan, which is a city way up in um, the northern part of the country. I was just brand new to this new environment, this new culture. The job's very complicated, tough to learn at first. And I definitely did feel in that setting that 
there were some nuances to being one of only two women in a squadron of about 50 pilots that my male peers weren't facing. And at that time, it wasn't big, blatant sexism, but it was little things like having flight gear that didn't fit correctly or not having the right setup to be able to go to the bathroom in the cockpit, something that people don't think about, but is a huge deal for us, right? That's a huge stressor when you can't do it. And then stuff in the culture where if someone made a joke or an off-color comment, even if it didn't bother me, it was like the music stopped, everyone stopped, and (laughs) all the heads turned to look at me to see how I'm going to react, right? So as one of the youngest people in the squadron, just trying to figure out this new career field, I also had to bear the responsibility of setting the culture and what was acceptable in the organization, which I didn't want that responsibility and I shouldn't have had it. And then the other part was I felt like I was under a microscope and like any mistakes I made were setting the reputation for female fighter pilots as a whole. Mm. So if I had a bad flight and I wasn't good at this specific mission, then all of the other people in the squadron would be like, women pilots just aren't good at that thing. And the next person that comes along after me is going to be judged. That's probably not as true as I imagined it being, but it is definitely a factor too, to some extent. But then fast forward to the Thunderbirds, and in that setting, because that squadron's mission is so unique, they're really focused on recruitment for the military, of course, but also inspiring the public in general. Being the only woman flying for the team was an asset because there's a whole half of the population that can relate more to me than to my male peers. And so I was in a really unique position where I could really impact and really inspire a lot of people that they couldn't reach as much. So in that setting, I saw it as a benefit. Yeah. The rest of us, we can see ourselves in you. Who could we see ourselves in before? Uh, There were just a small handful of people, you know, we could count them on one or two hands who we could see ourselves in before. Well, Air Force pilots, you get all kinds of technical and logistical training. But I'm curious, is there training around how to manage fear? Because all of that is scary. People's lives are in your hands. Your life is in your hands. Um, And there are so many elements that are out of your control. Do they talk about fear and how to deal with it? So they don't specifically talk about it, but it's definitely woven in throughout training. So there's a couple of things that really focus on controlling your mindset. And a lot of it honestly comes down to the training and the preparation of just doing things over and over and over until it gets to a point where it's muscle memory. At first, you're very step-by-step checklist, looking at every single switch, thinking about every single step. But in a combat scenario or even in flying an air show, you don't have time to do that that methodically. So it has to become second nature. So that's one of the things. It's just a lot of repetition. But then another thing that's really emphasized from the very beginning is that you have to be able to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And when something goes wrong on a flight, because no no flight is ever perfect, there's just so many variables. The deviations might be very minor, but it's never perfect. And when something goes wrong, you have to just be like, okay, that happened. Put it aside. I would actually visualize putting it in a a treasure chest, closing it, locking it. Be like, I'll deal with that after I land. And now what is the next thing I have to do? Because in training, the people that would get into trouble and end up really struggling in the program would be ones where they let it kind of snowball into the next thing. So they're like, oh, I went over my altitude by 500 feet and my instructor saw that and they would stress over it. 
Meanwhile, they're focused on that, and now they're turning to the wrong heading, mm. and they're missing a radio call. And it would just start to pile up until they, it was just a mess. And so no matter what it was, if it was a training environment or a combat scenario or an air show where a maneuver didn't go how you wanted or you fell out of formation, you didn't stay in as close as you wanted, you're just like, well, can't change that. What is in my control? And you're just going to set that aside and you're going to deal with it later. And I realize that's not a healthy way to deal with emotions in life in general, but in those <laughs> settings, that's just how you have to handle it because you don't have the time to dwell on things. Well, a lot of this wisdom actually does, in my opinion, apply to life outside an airplane. You know, some of the things you just said, familiarity essentially helps you combat fear. The more familiar you are with your surroundings, the more familiar you are with your equipment. Um, repetition and practice. Take something that may seem scary and turn it into something you're accustomed to. And then not mentally spiraling. I mean, it is easy to take one little mistake and then fixate on that and then not notice the other things in life that are going well or just screw up those things instead or, you know, not take control of what I can, but then let everything kind of fly out of control. So I think what you're saying here does apply to a lot of other situations. And I do want to note also that a lot of our listeners are in the real estate space and that is an industry filled with lots of unexpected shifts and outside variables beyond their control, for example, interest rates. So I feel like some of what you're saying here might really apply to them. Do you have any other wisdom you might share with them, mindset tips about facing those forces out of their control? It's really realizing that there is no point in focusing on the things you can't control. And I say that with a caveat that you do want to look at the worst case scenarios and what things could go wrong before you're in the setting where it's actually happening. So we would always brief before flying, you know, emergency procedures, or if someone moves out of formation, where is what we call your out? Like, where can you safely maneuver your aircraft to get out of the way? Mm. Or in a combat scenario, you know, one of the weapon systems doesn't work right. What's your backup plan? And so I think you think through those, right? If interest rates spike, how am I going to readjust my game plan? How am I going to change my marketing? How am I going to reach out to this client group that I don't normally focus on or whatever it is? So you think about that, but you can't dwell on it. You mm -hmm. check the box. You're like, yes, I acknowledge it. This is a backup plan. This is plan B. Now I've, I've done that. Now what is in my control? So preparation, which is part of that plan B, just not wasting that energy on that worst case scenario, acknowledging it, but then moving on. Mm -hmm. Now, as a military veteran growing a business, how does your veteran status shape your entrepreneurial perspective? I think I've just started to kind of gain some perspective on, on how it does because you don't realize when you're in the military what you don't know. So you're used to working in an environment where people follow through people go above and beyond. There's just quality people, especially when you get into the high-performing squadrons like the Thunderbirds. The people you are working with are extremely high caliber and people are on time. Like, There's no question about whether that's going to happen or not. And I've realized on the civilian side that that's kind of hit or miss, right? Of course, there are people that perform at that level, but there's also people that don't. And so realizing that what was normal for me and expected for me is not the same as what's normal and expected 
outside the military. Um, but I think for all veterans, I've talked to a lot of veterans, especially as I've transitioned, where they're like, wow, you just made this look so easy. You just left and you're crushing it right away. And they're like, how did you do that? You think about a pilot and you're like, what are my skills? I fly airplanes. And for a lot of the people in the military, they have very specific technical skills. Like, oh, I'm a mechanic. Oh, I you know, did this specific thing in an aircraft. I'm like, you have so many soft skills that are huge assets to the civilian sector that you don't recognize because you think they're normal, but they're not normal. And that's things like just relentless perseverance and grit and discipline and being willing to pivot and flex because you've constantly been picked up and dropped in a new location with new people over and over and over through your career. And it's these incredible experiences that you had that you thought were normal for you that make you so competitive in the civilian sector and such a huge asset to bring on to a team. And so I've been trying to really emphasize that to people that they need to open up what they see as their skill set when they're transitioning into the civilian world from the military. I couldn't help but notice you mentioned one thing that people in the military have, and that's relentlessness. And one of the things that you've really excelled at in this new chapter of your life is social media. Your presence online uh, really promotes the ideas of be bold, be brave. We see those mottos everywhere. How do you wake up each day and embrace those messages of be bold and be brave. A lot of us wake up feeling actually very tired and sometimes a little bit scared of what the world is right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wake up very tired as well. I'm a high coffee consumer, so that's <laughs> that's step A, have a few cups of coffee. But I think people have the misconception that people that are in really successful roles or just really visually impressive roles, which I would say flying for the Thunderbirds falls into that category, that they don't have fear, that they're fearless. And I think we all have fear. We all have self-doubt. But being willing to be brave doesn't mean that goes away. It means you learn to manage it. And you learn to accept some level of it and realize that you're stronger than that fear that you have and you can still move forward. And so where the being bold part comes in is being bold enough to, despite that fear, still go do the thing. And I kind of went through a transition in my career where I wasn't doing that and I was recognizing it and I wasn't very fulfilled and I felt like I was underselling myself. And how I made the transition is I started with small things. It wasn't like the next day I was like, I'm going to apply to be a Thunderbird pilot. It was the tiniest things. It could be as small as, you know, raising your hand in a meeting and sharing an idea you have that you've had for a while, but you haven't had the courage to speak up and share. It's something so small. And you start to make small, bold choices like that and as you do that over time, it becomes a habit and it becomes kind of just what you do and who you are. The gravity of those bold choices starts to grow over time. A year later or two years later, you look back and you're the one that people are like, how are you so fearless? How do you just go out there and do that? It's really a building block process and you have to intentionally make a promise to yourself that you're gonna start making small, bold choices and just keep doing that and you will build consistency and momentum. Michelle Mace Curran, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, it was my pleasure to chat with you and I'm always happy to talk to someone else from the Midwest. In a minute, we'll meet a Century 21 affiliate who made her own brave and bold choices as she grew her real estate team. Stay with us. 
Here's some real estate reality from me, a Century 21 affiliated agent. Did you know that on average, single women sell homes for 2% less and buy for 2% more? That's 100% messed up. But Century 21 affiliated agents like me have a 98% recommendation rate. We fight to get you what you deserve and not a penny less. Century 21. Move fearlessly. Each office is independently owned and operated. Century 21 is a registered trademark owned by Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. And we're back. My next guest is truly inspiring in her unique way. She's an expert on the ground team builder with killer entrepreneurial instincts. So my name is Michelle Furman. I am the team lead of the Furman Group, um, and we're partnered with Century 21 Northeast, and we are based in Lawrence, Massachusetts. When Michelle Furman was just 15 years old, she started her own house cleaning business and within months had over 100 customers. By the time she turned 21, she got her real estate license. Not long after, she was named Rookie of the Year in the state of Massachusetts. And three years later, she led the most productive Century 21 office in the state. Talk about being bold and brave. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I totally appreciate it. And I'm excited to be here. Michelle, you have this amazing list of accomplishments and team building is a huge part of your success. How did you go about building your extraordinary team? So for many, many years, I was a single agent um, and I was also a single mom. I was a single mom of three kids. Right around 20, uh, 2017, um, my assistant that I had, which I still have, uh, said to me, we have zero life. You either hire more assistants or you start a team or I'm done. That's basically mm. what he said to me. And I was selling about 125, 130 homes a year on my own, which was a lot. Whoa. Plus I was a single mom of three kids and, you know, it was a lot going on. Um, and I said, okay. And that was 2017. It was the end of the year. 2018, we started a small team. It was three of us. That team, the first year we were the number one Century 21 team in Massachusetts. 2019, we were the number one Century 21 team in uh, the country. And then later, 2020, we were the number one Century 21 team in the world, which was like, wow. wow. <laughs> so it, it really grew very quickly, but very uh, strategically. Yes. And part of that strategy is you have a full-time bilingual team. Yes. Uh, why was that important to you and how did you build out that team? So... Again, we're in the Lawrence, Massachusetts area, which is a highly uh, Hispanic community. Um, huge melting pot here. Uh, a lot of Portuguese, um, a lot of uh, Italians, a lot of Irish. You know, huge melting pot, which I love. I love the diversity. So it only made sense that for us to be able to service our community, we need to not only speak the language, but understand the culture. So we are now 18 agents. All but one speak at least two languages, which is great. Um, some speak three. I have one that speaks four languages. But it's really important, you know, not only to be able to speak the language, but like I said, to really understand the culture. And that's helped us tremendously. And what are those languages? So, uh, of course, English. 90% uh, of the team speaks Spanish. We have two team members who speak French, and then we have two team members who speak uh, Portuguese. 
Oh, fantastic. That covers a very large percentage of your region, but also the planet. <laughs> it does. It does. And I do speak a little Italian. I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> we recently started working a lot more in the Revere area where it's a, a heavy Brazilian population. And to be able to go in there and, and speak the language and, and understand it has, has made a huge difference. It's literally been a game changer. So it's two of our agents, which happen to be Dominican, uh, their first language is Spanish, their second language is English, and then now their third language is Portuguese, you know, have just been welcomed with open arms because, you know, now not only can you explain things in their language, but it, it, you just create that bond, right? Yeah, that bond, that community building. Yes. How how does how do you build that and how does it help your team as entrepreneurs? Well, as far as the community, we are super involved. I mean, we try to do anything and everything uh, that we can. Most of us uh, came from very underprivileged families, you know, poor families. At some point, uh, I remember my parents, you know, having uh, to, to be an assistant. And it was just that part of, of life for us. You know, when I was 14, it was being forced to go to work because I had to be able to help my family, um, you know, support and put food on the table. So because we understand, you know, the needs, it just makes it so much better, right? It's just so much more fulfilling. We just recently did um, a mentorship with our local high school uh, where we went in. It was seven agents and we came in for eight weeks and we mentored these seniors. So not only did we mentor them on, hey, what's it like to be an agent, but hey, let's talk about credit. Let's talk about wealth building. Let's talk about home ownership. So I can't even tell you after we finished this, how many people reached out and just said, thank you. You know, thank you for helping our seniors. Thank you for helping our kids. And we're constantly doing things like that. You know, right now we have what we call our junior team um, where we're helping agents that are brand spanking new and kind of putting them through a test period to see, is this something that's really for you, right? Kind of just like helping them get in the waters. So we're, we're always doing whatever we can to help. Yeah. What you're doing there is, I, I have to say, frankly, it's beautiful because you're opening up the idea of possibilities to people. To, Absolutely. Uh, to people as far as their careers go, uh, to maybe just having a middle-class life. And that is an incredible gift to give people, the yes. idea of possibility. And yes. what else do you think makes you a unique leader? You know, it's funny that you say that, but for me, I, I really believe that being a unique or a good leader is empowering others, right, into leadership positions. So whenever I hear, oh my gosh, you have such a great team and, you know, you guys killed it, it's like, it, it's not me, it's us. It's every single one in our team has such a unique role. So anytime we come up with a new project, like right now we have a couple of projects going on and what we did is, okay, you're going to run this project. You're going to run this project. You're going to be the team lead in this project. So we create groups within ourselves, right? And leaders within ourselves to run things. Not only does it make them feel you know, empowered, Right. But it, it shows and it pushes them to go into that uncomfortable stage. Right. It pushes them to be the best that they can. And, and it really does help even within our own culture. Right. Within our bonding, within the family that we've built. So for me, I think the unique part of it is that I'm always trying to find a leadership position or leadership role within my team for others. 
well, you're clearly a very gifted mentor, but I'm curious, when you're actually recruiting agents, mm-hmm. um, is there something specifically you look for in them, something that they already have within them that makes them a good fit? So I got to tell you, curiosity is definitely something that we look for. We look for someone who's curious, who's hungry, who is family-oriented, who understands that within our and I I call it my family, right? Within our family, we have the policy of no man left behind. You know, we're all going to make it. We're all going to be successful. You know, and whoever we bring in really has to understand that. Anytime that we have a win, we're all celebrating for each other. There is no jealousy within us. It's only, you know, how can we bring all of us up? So we strategically look for agents that we feel would be able to, you know, fit in there. And not only that we can help them, right? So so maybe it's somebody say, hey, this person is good, but we can make them into a superstar. In the meantime, they're also helping us by filling a need that we might have had. Mm. Now, all this season on the podcast, we are exploring the mindset of moving fearlessly. Mm-hmm. When you hear the phrase moving fearlessly, what what does that mean to you? Oh, wow. so many things come to mind, right? But I'm going to say being comfortable with the uncomfortable, constantly striving to improve, um, empowering others. That's a big thing for me. Building your dream life, again, inspiring others, but more importantly, inspiring yourself. So mm-hmm. those are some of the things that, that come to my mind. What are some of the ways you inspire yourself? I love to travel. When I tell you I love to travel 56 countries so far, and I got to tell you, the things that really inspire me is getting to know other beautiful spots and being emerged in different cultures. That is mm-hmm. such an eye-opener to me. We spent uh, three months traveling through Asia one summer, and I got to tell you, I came back a completely different person, you know, b- being surrounded by different cultures, by different religions, you know. It just was mind-boggling to me. And and that's what's really inspired me. Every time I come back, I'm like, where can I go to next? And I want to talk to these people and see how they live. And what can I learn from them? That's what inspires me. Others. Others inspire me. Others' lifestyles and cultures and places. Those are the things that, that make me so happy. Oh, and it's clear because that comes through in your management style, in your community building, in the work you do. Everything we've talked about today, I'm like, that makes so much sense that that is your approach to being inspired is to go out into the world and talk to people and learn more about how other people live because that's what you do in your day-to-day life. So that, that makes so much sense. And now, what are you most excited about for the future? So I'm very, very excited. Um, I have a project that's coming up where I'm going to be building my first development project. It's 20 units. So I'm, I'm really excited about getting into that. Wow. And really, Yeah, and really just traveling more and growing my team. Right now we're 18. We plan on strategically growing to 50 in the next five years. But adding insurance into the team. We recently brought in mortgage in-house, which is a also a side business that we started um, in the summertime and it's been going phenomenal. But we want to be that one-stop shop. 
hey, come and, and once you come in, I could help you buy your house. We can help you get the insurance. Here's the mortgage. I brought in an attorney as well. So we really want to grow within ourselves, right? Things that we're already partnering with others. Let's bring it in-house, the best possible people, best possible teams, speak our language, understand our community. Uh, So that's very exciting for me. And of course, more travel. Michelle Furman, this has been so inspiring. Thank you for joining us today on The Relentless. Oh my gosh, it was totally my pleasure. I absolutely loved it. And it's been the highlight of my week. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Century 21 Real Estate. You can find out more about the guests you've heard in today's show and discover more great material from our Century 21 partners at slate.com slash c21relentless. I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening. All rights reserved. Nothing herein is intended to create an employment relationship. Century 21 Real Estate LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion.